government. We can't trust, oh God, oh God, in anything but you, oh God. Man is going to let us down, oh God. Oh, governments are going to let us down, oh God. Hallelujah, Lord. But we can put our trust in you, oh God, in you, oh God. Hallelujah. That last line of that song says, so put your trust in me. Amen. So that's, to me, that's saying, don't put your trust in yourself. Amen. We can't trust in the arm of flesh. When he was speaking to Israel, when he was, was taking them out of that bondage and taking them to the Red Sea, they, they, they could not trust in themselves. They had been doing that, and it hadn't been working. Amen. And so they, he said, put your trust in me. You know, the Bible says that he has given to every man the measure of faith. So where does your faith come from? It's from God. So it's not your faith, is it? It's his faith. Because, you know, the Bible says we are stewards of all of his blessings. And I believe the greatest blessing that he could ever give us above any stuff or anything else in this life is his faith. I, I can trust in him, Sister Vicki. I can trust in him. He's never let me down, and he never will. That doesn't mean he won't let you go through some stuff and make you feel like, wait a minute, where's God? Where's God? Anybody ever felt like that besides me? We're not the first ones either. That's what Israel said for 400 years. Where's God? Why are we in this bondage? God had a plan. He knew what he was doing. I wouldn't have wanted to wish to want to be one of those people that had to go through that, those generations that went through that, but that was for a period of time. That was for a reason, for God's purpose and plan. And we are here right now in 2020 in the perfect plan and will of God. We are here in this generation and this time for this purpose, and I wouldn't want to be anywhere else but right here because we're still living the book of Acts, Right? And God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He never, ever changes. Hallelujah. So if something changes, it's got to be us. Hallelujah. Right? God doesn't change his plan midstream and decide, well, that plan's not going to work. Maybe I'll try this. God doesn't work that way. Amen? So what did we talk about last Sunday? What did we talk about? Yeah. Increasing our joy. Amen? And really everything about this month is really going to be about increasing our joy. Because everything we do for the kingdom, everything we do for God, everything that we seemingly in our mind give up, or walk away from, or however you want to say that, everything that we do is is going to increase our joy in the Lord. Because the the closer I get to Him, the the closer I walk with Him, the better it gets. Amen. It's like when I when I met Carol in thirty thirty six years ago, this month, not last month. Uh, I thought it was joy then, but 
it's just increased over the years. And anybody can, that's been married for a long time can attest to that. It hasn't been without its struggles. It hasn't been without its tests and trials. All kinds of them, financial, you name it. If you've, had, if you've been married and had kids and raised families and, and gone through things and lost family members, you, there, there's things you go through. But it's just it's gotten better and better and better. One preacher said gooder and gooder and gooder. And so that's how it is with my relationship with Jesus Christ. So, you know, if, if you're given everything you have to this, you're, you're going to increase your joy just by default. Amen? Because it's all about pleasing him. And if I'm pleasing him, you know, he said he's not going to let the righteous forsaken nor seed beg bread. So he's going to take care of me. He's going to take care of you. Amen? And the trials and the tests and the hard times, the good times, he's going to take care of us. When it seems like he's not there, it's like that little poem about the, the guy with the footprints in the sand. When there's only one set of footprints, he's there. It's not your footprints. Right? Praise God. We're going to talk this week about avoiding sin. And this is one one of the many we're, we're not going to cover. We're only... We're going to do this for, for a month, but obviously there's more than four attributes of a mature, mature disciple, right? We all mature at different levels. We all mature at different speeds. God's got different things that he needs for us to do in the kingdom, different ministries. And so every one of us is at a different place, but we're all, we can all say that we are maturing together and we need to be maturing, Right? If you have someone that's physically the age of 15 and they're acting like a five-year-old, there's something wrong, right? So I don't want to be a five-year-old Christian. If I've been living and doing this for 15 years, I want to mature, don't you? I want to grow, the Bible says, in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior. I want to grow. And... If you look at raising children, some of that maturing comes from the parental guidance that's involved in it. But some of that maturing is the individual deciding, okay, I'm going to act like this now. I'm I'm going to lay aside, the Bible says, childish things. And I'm going to do things that that don't look so childish anymore. I mean, there comes a time when you're a teenager where you realize, you know, playing with dolls or playing with army men or something like that, you know, it. It's you look at it one day and you go, man, that's childish. I need to walk away from that. Put my army men in the drawer and, you know, save them for later or something. Right. And we move on to other things. And so we got to do that in in the Lord. We got to do that in the spirit. Let's go to the book of James, chapter one, verse two through four. If you have your Bible, I'll give you a minute to get there. Those online, I'll give you a minute to get there. James, chapter one, verse two. Through four. And it reads like this My brethren, who's he talking to? The church. My brethren, count it all joy. Everybody say, Count it all joy. I want to hear you people online. Count it all joy. I guess they said it. <laughs> when? That's a key word. We, we can't just skip over that. When, everybody say when, when you fall into divers temptations. Next verse. 
knowing. We know when we fall into diverse temptation, we know that the trying, he's encouraging us. We know that the trying of our faith worketh patience. You have to remind yourself of that when you're going through some of this stuff sometimes. I, Father, I, you almost have to read that out loud and say it out loud to yourself. And it goes back to trusting him. Do I trust him? I trusted him with my life when I went to an altar and repented. I trusted him and he filled me with the Holy Ghost. I trust him with my life now. So I got to trust as I'm walking because he's talking to the church that he's got this. But let patience have her perfect work. Let that trial, that test, and all the patience that's going to be learned and gained from that, let it have its perfect work. That you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Amen? And so that same scripture in the Amplified says this. Consider it nothing. Consider it. It's a key word right there. Nothing but joy. My brethren and sisters, here comes the it. Whenever or as soon as you fall into various trials. So you're going to fall into some trials. Can we establish that this morning? It's going to happen. It's going to happen. Trust me, I'm telling you, it's going to happen. Because it says so right here. Be assured that the testing of your faith through experience, life experience, all kinds of experience, produces endurance leading to spiritual maturity and inner peace. And let endurance have its perfect result and do a thorough work so that you may be perfect and completely developed in your faith, lacking in nothing. I don't know about you, but I want to be completely developed. Don't you? I want that endurance to be produced in me. Endurance is not something that just happens. It's not just magic. It's not just a, you just snap your fingers and it happens. It's something that's learned, isn't it? Right? The first time a, a young person starts, they decide they want to be on the track team, that, that first three-mile run is not very easy because your body's not used to that. But you build up an endurance. You build up, you build up the ability to do that after you do it over and over and over and over again, don't you? And then you start running five miles because three seems easy. And then you start running seven miles because five seems easy. And so we build up, and it's a process. And I like what it says there. And let endurance have its perfect result and do a thorough work. Let it do a thorough work. I don't want, I don't want God to do a halfway job on me. I want him to do the whole job. And whatever it takes, God, and I know that's, you got to be careful praying that, right? But whatever it takes for me to be saved, if that's what i got to go through, then please, God, let me go through that. I don't want to be have anything left in my closet when it's over with. Nothing. I mean, you just go back and read the book of Job. Right? There was something... The way I read Job, there was something that was in him that God knew about that Job didn't know about. Some little seed of something down in there that God had to get that thing stirred up and brought up to the surface so God could deal with it so that Job could be more, even more than what he was. And he did. If you read the book of Job, it came out. 
And God dealt with it. And Job had to face it. He couldn't hide it anymore. And so we, we got to go through these, these temptations. So only temptation, if you notice in this scripture, that only temptation is discussed by the author up to this point. We're talking about avoiding sin today, right? He hasn't mentioned sin yet. So we, we have to acknowledge that trials and tests and temptations are a fact of life, especially as an apostolic believer. After all, the Bible clearly states that Satan is the god of this world. Does it not? And it's only for a time, but he is, the Bible says, the God of this world. And he has been given some authority here for a brief span of time. Furthermore, God allows him to try to test us. You believe that? It's true. He allowed it to, he allowed it to happen to Job. He allowed Joseph to go through trials and struggles and tests. He, he's going to allow us to do this. Our loving Father does this to make sure that our love for him and our relationship with him and our faith in him is strong and will endure because he's got a plan for you. He's got a plan for you. But in order for you to get to the next level, he's got to work some things out of you back here so that he can take you to the next level. And so when, when, when all hell is breaking loose in your life, our temptation is and our, our tendency is to say, God, what is wrong? What is all this? Get me out of this. Right? When we should be saying, get me through this. This must be for a reason in my life, God, so help me learn the lesson so I can get through this part so that I can go to the next level. It's not fun. It is not fun getting a whooping, is it, in the natural? Anybody ever get a whooping growing up? More than one here. I had two brothers. We, we, we kind of, you know, went around. Your turn, my turn, his turn, your turn, my turn. You know, we all got in trouble. We got each other in trouble. But the whoopings didn't feel good at the time, and we didn't, we didn't like them at the time, but they were really for our good, weren't they? So God has to put a whooping on us sometimes to allow things to, some, some things to come to the surface so he can get that out of us. Amen. I want that to happen. Jesus Christ, even as a man, had to deal with temptation, didn't he? In James uh, 1, 12 through 15, it says, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. You're blessed if you endure the temptation that you know is coming. It says, For when he is tried, when he is tried, when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted, is tempted, when he is, is drawn away. You're going to be drawn away. It says here, is, am I reading this wrong? Every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust. His human desire, his human appetite, and enticed. Right? Can you? What, what can you be enticed with? A chocolate donut? Right? Some people don't care, don't give a, a rip about a chocolate donut, but they could be tempted with something else, like a croissant or something like that. Right? Pizza, whatever you you can be you can be enticed with certain things if. And, you, and some people can just walk away from a whole box of donuts like, I don't want that. 
But there's other stuff that they can be enticed with. Piece of fruit. Something healthy like that. So we can all be enticed with our with our human, our sin nature. And it and this you know, this nature's gonna be with us. He didn't take away our sin nature when he saved us, did he? Mm-mm. When do we lose that? When we die. <laughs> So, because he just said right here that we're going to endure, we're going to endure temptations. Well, how can we be tempted unless we have a nature that can be tempted? Does that make sense? Right. So we're drawn away and enticed by who? Pretty, pretty simple answer right there. The devil. Sometimes our flesh, but the devil uses our flesh to draw us away. Right. Like a fisherman or a hunter luring his prey to the kill. Right? These these hunters in this time of year, they put their salt licks out. They put their all their stuff out to draw that deer to the area where their tree stand is so they can get him. Right? Or the, the fishermen, I saw a bunch of bass boats coming in here. They got all their lures and they're, all, they're sitting, getting everything ready to go. They want to catch that big bass. They got to try to fool him into thinking that's real food. Right? Isn't that what that is? And so does that happen to us? Does the devil make something look enticing to us? It's not just something physical like this Bible. It can be anything. Temptation to be critical about somebody else. A temptation to to think about something that you shouldn't be thinking about. It's a temptation. It's not a sin. But verse 15 says, Then when lust, our lust has conceived, it brings forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. So, temptation is not sin. Does that make sense? So, we, we, know, we, need, to, we need to realize that, know that. Temptation is not sin. The devil would like us to believe that temptation is sin. Right? So blessed is the man that endureth. Endureth or endurance is to remain under, i.e. to preserve, to endure, to sustain, to bear up under. To suffer as a load of miseries, adversities, persecutions, and provocations with faith. This Greek word is associated with hope. 1 Thessalonians 1.3 and, and refers to that quality of character which does not allow one to surrender to circumstances or succumb under trial. That quality of character is in reference to the Holy Ghost, is it not? Because we don't, we didn't have any character before we got the Holy Ghost. We are, we were just making a mess of things, right? In our human effort to try to be good and do good and do right, we were making a mess of things. But when we got the Holy Ghost, everything changed, and so we've learned. We have to learn to depend on Him to get us through the trials and the tests, and. And the same God that saved us is the same God that's going to make a way for us, right? To them that love him. That word love there is agapeo, which is the, the root word of that is agape, which is God love, right? And it's, uh, it's to esteem, to love, indicating a direction. This is important, a direction of the will. And finding one's joy, there's that word joy again, in something or someone. Do you find your joy in in the Holy Ghost? Do you find your joy in the Lord? Or do you find your joy in your own 
your own mindset and your own thoughts and your own intellect. My own intellect was, was doing nothing but getting me in trouble. So I find my joy in the Lord, and I depend on him. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will suffer you, not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able. So he's going to allow you to be tempted once again. But will with the temptation make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it? Uh, That same scripture starting in verse 12 in the Amplified says, Therefore let... The one who thinks he stands firm, immune to temptation, being overconfident and self-righteous, take care that he does not fall into sin and condemnation. Verse 13, no temptation, regardless of his source, has taken or enticed you that is not common to human experience, nor is it any temptation unusual or beyond human resistance. But God is faithful to his word. His He is compassionate and trustworthy, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability to resist but but along with the temptation along with the temptation think about that along with the temptation that you're going to experience he is in the past and is now and always will always provide a way out as well as as well so that you will not be able so that you will be able to endure there's that word endure again endure it without yielding and without and will overcome temptation with joy you got we got to trust in him and and it's it's important that when we when we experience temptation that we begin to realize when it's happening that it's not first of all it's not from god and god but god's allowing it and I don't know about you, but when I, when I experience there are certain things that, that I know are temptations that are coming my way, and the minute that, it's almost like the minute that comes, I'm going, I'm almost laughing out loud, going, <laughs> devil, you are a liar. You tried that last week, devil, and it ain't going to work this week either. You're a liar. And God delivered me of whatever that was a long time ago, and so you just need to just get out get away from that. And I have found that when I start talking back to the devil like that, because he's afraid of us. If you didn't know that, he's afraid of us. We got more power than he in our little finger than he's got in his whole kingdom. And so he's afraid of us. And so when I, what does the Bible say to resist the devil and he'll flee from you? I resist him. I say, no, I got the Holy Ghost. I'm, I'm bought and paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. Get away from me. Right? So as Jesus said in in his prayer that he prayed when he went to the mount before he was crucified, he said, Father, not my will. Was that the first time he ever prayed that? Was Jesus uh, a five-year-old? Was he a 10-year-old? Yeah. Was he a 12-year-old? Was he a teenager? Did he go through puberty? He was a natural man on this earth. He was, he was a kid. You just think about any of your kids or grandkids and all the, the, the turmoil and stuff they go through in growing up. He went through all that. Do you think kids are tempted? Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Even 50 years ago, they were tempted with stuff, right? 
what's bad now would have been, I mean, you know, it's changed. But, but so you have to believe that Jesus, as a kid, was tempted. Because there were some pretty girls in those villages. Right? Do you think he was, you think he thought some of them were pretty? I bet he did. Because it doesn't talk about that. We shouldn't talk about it, right? Because but he did. He he didn't even he didn't launch into his ministry till he was thirty. So do you think Jesus had to, knowing that what he knew as a kid, that he had to tell himself from time to time? Not my will, Father. Not my will, Father. Not my will, Father. So this to me, this wasn't the first time he said this, but now he's facing something very monumental. He's got to go to the cross. So he really had to say it out loud. Not my will, Father, but your will be done. This submitting of the will, of our will, includes every aspect of our life. Father, I'll submit my will except for this. Can't do that. If, it, if your will is having any, in any shape, manner, or form, having any say in anything that's going on in your life after you've said, Father, not my will, but your be done, then you've just taken back some of your will. When Paul had his experience on the road to Damascus and he was launched into his ministry, he had no control whatsoever of his life. If you read about Paul, he had no control of his life whatsoever after that. He did what he went wherever the Lord, the Holy Ghost told him to go. He said whatever the Holy Ghost told him to say. And he, he was allowed to go through persecution, to be beaten, to be shipwrecked and all the things that he went through. But the, what did Paul say? These things that happened to me, I, I don't count my life dear to myself. This, I count it as dung, the things that I've had to give up for the glory and for the glory of Christ, right? So I know I'm kind of paraphrasing that, but that's basically what his life was like. We will not endure temptation by having a strong human character or by our own will. Remember that that's why... We came to an altar in the first place. He loved us enough to allow temptations, and he, he allows temptations to come into our life. And we can never forget that we cannot do this without him. What, is John, what does it say in John chapter 15? That he is the vine, and we are the branch. And what does it say there? Without him, we can do nothing. You can't resist sin. You can't do anything without him. So put your trust in me, we sang in that song. Temptations can come in all forms. We, we can be tempted, as I said already, uh, to be critical of others. We can be tempted of so many things. The temptation can go on and on and on. And we, we're, we, we can and will be tempted. And the, that scripture that we read in in the beginning, it says that when lust hath conceived or when lust has to catch hold of something to enclose in the hands as of a person taken by authority or force to seize, to apprehend in hunting and fishing to take, to catch, to take as bait as a trophy of hell. So when lust has conceived, it's something, when you've conceived something, you know, people, People that are thieves and robbers, they conceive a plot in their mind and they, they plan it out, right? And so when you've conceived temptation, when temptation has gotten to the point where it has affected, it has, it has gotten into you and, and, and the lust that's in you is, is thinking about it, 
Just think about when, when you take that temptation and you take ownership of it, it just became yours. You just conceived it. Right? You didn't resist it. You didn't resist the devil. When you took that temptation and that thought and you said, you know, I, I think I'm going to do that. You just took ownership of it. You just took it out of the hands of the devil and made it yours. And now it's become sin because of your will. Right? If you just said, if you'd have just said, Father, not my will. Whatever this is, it's not of you. Not my will, Father, but your will be done. I give this to you. I cast this upon you right now in Jesus' name. And you do that, and I promise you it'll leave. It'll leave. Sin, that word sin in the Bible, in the Greek, it, it's the word hamartia, among other words, and it it uh, it means to sin. Sin, missing the true and and the true end and scope of our lives, which is God, and offense in relation to God with emphasis on guilt. Sin also is the Greek word hamartano, and that word means to sin, to miss a mark on the way, not to hit the mark. One who keeps missing the mark in in his relationship to God is hamartolos. Wow. Missing the mark. Anybody ever shot bow and arrow or darts or anything like that what do you what are you doing with those darts and with those bow and arrows or when you're sitting at the range and you're trying to you're trying to get expert on your weapon what are you trying to do you're trying to aim down range and hit the mark like when when uh when robin hood and 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 all the other merry men and all the guys in in the realm in that day were all went to that that competition that day to shoot their arrows the one who shot the arrow in the bullseye got the girl right so how do you how do you how do you miss the? It's like you, when when the guys miss, they're like, how did that happen? I was aiming right at it. How many times every day do, are we aiming at the mark and we miss? Right? Think about that. If I took a little waste paper basket and stuck it up here, and I wadded up a bunch of pieces of paper, and I had so some of you all stand back about four, five, six pews and said, oh, see, okay, see how many you can get in that basket in five minutes. There'd be paper wads all around it. Right? You ever been to the carnival? They make it look easy. The guy that's running the booth, like, here, just keep, look, see how easy it is? Boom, he does it every time. You get up there and it's all over the place. That's how easy it is to miss the mark. But what's the key to that? You got to keep aiming. You got to keep shooting. You know, I could go on and on with analogies about people like Michael Jordan who, or you can name your basketball player, who stood at that foul line for hours and hours and hours. They lost count of how many foul shots they shot, but they got to the point where they could almost close their eyes and make it every time. That's how, that's how, they, that's how, how right on the mark they were. And so that's our, that should be our desire. And so what did it take those men? What does it take that? That, that concert pianist or that concert flautist to become a concert a famous concert pianist or flautist. What does it take? Doing it every day. You don't just practice once a month and become a concert pianist. You do it every day. We've got to keep aiming at the mark every day. We've got to stay in the race, right? The only way you're going to get better is if you stay in the race. If you quit the race, you're done. The devil won. John 2, 1 through 2 says, My little children, or 
he could be saying, my fellow saints, my members of the body of Christ. These things write I unto you that you sin not. All these letters in the New Testament were to the saints, to the church, and they were to encourage. James wrote them. Paul wrote them to encourage the church that, yeah, you're going to go through some stuff, but I'm encouraging you that you're going to make it. Isn't that what we do from this platform or from any church pulpit or platform? We're, we're here not to impress you with our wisdom, but to encourage you that, hey, we're all in this together. We're all on this journey together, and we're all going to make it. If I can make it, you can make it. If we keep our focus and our aim right, we can make it. We don't have to fall into sin. He says, basically, he says, I'm trying to help you not to miss the mark. That's what he's saying. He says, and if any man sin. Wait a minute. He just said, I don't want you to sin. Then he said, but if any man sin. Wow. You have to believe that this is the word of God, and the Holy Ghost had him write that for a reason, didn't he? It says, the very next word says, we have an advocate with the Father. What's an advocate? What, what, happened, what do you do when you advocate for somebody? Like, like Sister Linda back there, she advocates for the patients that she works with because they can't speak for themselves. So somebody's got to step up and advocate for them and be on their side and be, you know, speak up for them when they can't speak up for themselves or the unborn babies. Somebody's got to advocate for them, right? Somebody's got to advocate. So that's what Jesus Christ is. He's our advocate. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Right? And he is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but for also for the sins of the whole world. He's speaking to the church right then and right there, but he was taking this thing beyond that local church that he was writing that letter to, he was saying to the whole world, that includes us. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. I wanted to read that and amplify it. It says, my little children, I'm writing to you these things so that you will not sin and violate God's law. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate who will intercede for us. Doesn't the Bible say that he intercedes for us? Somewhere else it says that, doesn't it? Right? With the, uh, with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, the upright, the just one, who conforms to the Father's will in every way, purpose, thought, and action. That's what conforming to the will of God is right there. If you needed a good definition, that's what Jesus meant when he said, Father, not my will, in everything. Thought, word, deed, action, everything. And he, that, that same Jesus, is the propitiation of our sins, the atoning sacrifice that holds back the wrath of God that would otherwise be directed at us because of our sinful nature, our worldliness, our lifestyle. And not for ours alone, but also for the sins of all believers throughout the whole world. Is there people still out there that need this right here? They need this advocacy? That don't know that it's there for them? Now, this is just me, but I just believe that all this going on with all this COVID and all this other stuff that's going on is, is going to bring people to a point where they're going to really start looking for Jesus. I really believe that. That's just me. 
And so we got to be ready for them when they come because they're going to be hungry. They're going to be thirsty. They're going to be wanting something more than just another religious experience. And we got to be able to show them that what we have is is as real and just like this. It's not like sand that will go through your fingers, but it's real. Whenever Jesus was tempted, he simply reminded the devil of something he already knew. Because you know the devil knows scripture, right? He repeatedly said these words. See if you can tell me what they were. It is written. That's right. He constantly, every time he was tempted of the devil in the wilderness, he said, it is written. God already wrote it. It's already been said. It's already settled. The forever settled word of God, right? He repeatedly said those words, and all of that was written before he was ever born. And so he was just telling the devil something he already knew, reminding the devil, you're a liar, and the word of God is still true. And you you get, get behind me, Satan. Amen? So the only way that we are really able, I know we're supposed to be talking about avoiding sin. I'm bringing this to a close. The only way that we're really able to truly avoid sin is through and by the mercy and grace and the power of Almighty God in full operation in us by the Holy Ghost. You've got to be letting God just totally and completely, can I say it this way, run your life? (laughs) Can I say it that way? What did Jesus say? Or maybe it was Paul Paul said, I'm not my own. I'm bought with a price. If you're a slave and you've been bought on a slave, you've been stood up on a pedestal and somebody paid money for you, you're you're a slave. You, You don't have a say. You don't have a say. The slave owner tells you where to sleep, where to eat, when to sleep, when to eat, when to work, when not to work, when to take a bath, when to do anything. And I know that that seems like a stretch, but we've got to be so willing to let God lead our lives that he literally tells us what to do every day. And we need to approach the kingdom and approach our each day with, Father, it's not my will, it's your will. Whatever you're doing today, please help me get on the path you're on that I'm supposed to be on so that I can do what you need me to do, be where you need me to be, and say what you need me to say to whoever you need me to say it to. Right? I mean, there, there's, there's, there's umpteen people that are, that are apostolics that fly on airplanes and travel, and they have one opportunity to say something to the person in the seat next to them. And they might never see that person filled with the Holy Ghost, but they've got to take that chance to say something to that person while they have the chance. And if God's leading them to do it and they don't, wow. Missed opportunity, right? So we have to make sure that his spirit, his word abides in us. Right? You better know what this word says. You better know it in here. Not in here. It's great to memorize it, but you better know it in here. And use it like a filter. I like that analogy. Like It's like a coffee filter. You run, you run water through a coffee filter, and the coffee grounds don't come out, just the water. So you need to use the word of God like your filter. Everything that comes to you, everything that comes at you, you need to run, immediately run it through the filter and see if that, what, the, what does the Word of God say about that. Oh, no, I can't do that. I'm not doing that. Word, word of God doesn't say that that's okay. 
I know that we that's hammered a lot here, but that's important. It's important to know it. It doesn't mean you have to be a Bible scholar, but you better know what the Word says. Amen? Praise God. Lord, we love you today. We praise you today. We thank you for your opportunity to be among your people today, Lord, to, to hear from you, God. I, I thank you, Lord, for teaching me some things today through this Word. I thank you for teaching your people, Father. I pray that this Word will not return void unto you, Lord, but that it will go and do that which you have intended it for it to do today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We'll take a break and be back in 15.